Hey, welcome back. So today I was going to do a uh, Survival Gardener Minute on companion planting, but I decided instead of doing that, I would just do a stream. Now I only have 25% charge on my laptop and this burns up a lot of my laptop capacity. So um, I don't know how long the stream is going to go. I also, there have been a, a few clouds threatening up above and as is my normal pattern, I live up on, you know, I'm, I live at the bottom of a mountain and I climb to the top of a mountain to do these streams. So if it starts to pour, it's all over, which also means that when the rainy season comes in another month or so, these streams are probably over unless I can figure out another way to work around and do streams. So anyhow, um, I figured what we could do today is talk a little bit about companion planting, which is not something that I normally talk about as such. So, hey, let's see who's here. Organic Grow, Marcus Aurelius, Arkansas Woodcutter, Marcus Aurelius again, Officious in Love's Life, <laughs> that's Mama Woods, my friend Mama Woods, a 4000T, Rex Steffs, Leaf Oil Science, Carolyn, Vicky, Scott, good to see you, uh, Alan, all right, we got the, the gang's almost all here now. Karen and Gloria J, Tiki, Onalina, hello survival gardeners, and Lisa. It's nice to see you guys. Um, so I, I've been I've been trying to set this stream up actually for 45 minutes, but I just about got it set up before and it started raining on me. So I had to uh, bundle the computers up and then wait and then go watch the skyline for a while and then set up again and then it started to sprinkle again. So well, here we go. There we go. <laughs> um, organic Grow says we're going to have to build a little hut up here. Yeah, I think you're right. I was, I was just talking to my son about it. He's like, all these workarounds for not having one simple thing. It's all these workarounds. I said, you know, if I put my laptop inside of a, a plastic bubble, and he's like, all these workarounds. <laughs> so, all right. Um, Jeff and Anna and, and Thomas and Ben and Shen Artisan and and Lavender Cottage, Miller's Garden. Got some new folks here this evening, this afternoon, or what do you want to call it? So anyhow, uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about companion planting. And now, if, if you've watched my videos, or if you've read many of my books, you, you have to know that I have a serious psychological weakness. I have a, a, a deep, dark problem in my soul that affects everything else I do. And it is my... It's something that, well, it's something that everybody's noticed in me since the time I was a little kid. Um, and it's something that, that bothers my wife, even today. Even right now, it's probably bothering her. And, and what it is, is my deep affinity for women that are named Karen. No, that's not it. <laughs> that's not untrue. Karen just sent a super chat. Go buy an umbrella or a plastic bubble. <laughs> I 
here's what I need. You know what I should do? Here's an idea. I'll get a piece of plastic sheeting, and I'll just put it over myself and my little desk, and I will do the live <laughs> stream inside a rainstorm covered in plastic. It'd be awesome. <laughs> and thank you, Carol. And solar charger, that's a good idea. I could actually probably charge um, very easily and run forever and ever on a solar charger. All right, thank you. <laughs> thank you, guys. Okay, so my deep, deep problem is that I really don't, I don't like systems. I, I don't like, I don't like to be constrained by, by systems and boundaries and plans very much. So when, when I'm asked, you know, would you do a, some recipes? Would you do some recipes in your next book? I look at it and I'm like, I don't really write recipes. I, I came up with this, this soup that I like. But if I were to explain it to you, I wouldn't know the, I wouldn't know the, the exact pattern of goods that I put into it or what I might grab at any given point and add to it because that's what I'm, I'm thinking about. So, um, I, I might say, okay, this, this soup, the soup is based on yams. So what I do is I, I, I cut some, some yams, the regular white, you know, the non-sweet yams. I chop up some yam and I boil it until it's fork tender. Okay. That sounds like a recipe, but then you're supposed to say how much yam. Okay. How much yam? Uh, it's like a, a good, kind of a decent amount, like maybe like that much. I feed a lot of people. I'm not going to give you like, you know, I don't know how to do it like a cup of yam. I mean, it's ridiculous. So it's like that much yam and then boil it until it's fork tender. And then what I do is I put the submersible blender in it and I blend it all up into like liquid. But how many cups of water are in there? I'm, well, I'm not sure. It just sort of so it looks right. And then what I like to do is is throw in, throw a blender in the onion, an onion in the blender, throw a blender in the onion. I'll throw a blender in the onion and blend it up, and then I pour that in there, and I do the same thing with some garlic cloves. So now you have a yam, onion, and garlic total mush, right? It's like this creamy soup. And then I put in some butter, and I put in uh, either powdered milk, or I would put in some, some regular milk if I had it. Um, not sweetened condensed milk, that would be weird. But the other thing I do is take smoked herring, smoked herring, and put the smoked herring in the blender and shred it up until it's like totally shredded. And then I pour all that together. And so what you end up with is this smoky yam soup with with some really nice kind of onion and garlic flavor to it. But the the ratios of all this thing, all these things, I can't tell you. I don't exactly know. What, what I do is I do to taste. So I'm, I might grab the paprika. I might grab some Worcestershire sauce. I might throw a little soy sauce in it if I had some soy sauce. Um, I'm gonna throw some salt in there. I don't know how much salt. I might grab adobo seasoning if I have that uh, handy. I might throw in some cayenne. I might have a little bit of uh, you know Cuban oregano from the garden. I might shred some of that up and put it in. So, so all of this stuff comes together into this really good creamy, smoky flavored soup. You would not believe how nice it tastes. But but the system of it, I'm not really much of a systems follower, and I am I'm not actually good at it. My my wife will read the directions on how to put together a baby crib, because I look at the directions to put together a baby crib, 
and it and it looks like work to interpret the directions. I'd rather lay all the pieces out on the ground and and like f assemble it in my mind how I think it's going to fit together, and then work on it until I get it I get it right. Reading the directions I find irritating, um, and and I don't find that the directions ever explain anything as well as I would like. So when it comes to gardening, I'm constantly changing and evaluating and gardening what I would say gardening to taste. So the system looks like it's a little chlorotic, you know. Um, I don't like the way the mustards are are growing, or I don't like, you know, the, the tomatoes look like they're getting too much shade. What I'm doing is evaluating constantly as the system is there, rather than trying to design in every single element of a system before the system starts. And designing it all on paper for me, never works. I designed our, our houses multiple times on paper before I decided to just build. And and that's you know it's not that's not a good thing. It's not necessarily always a bad thing, but it's not a good thing. It's a different wiring to to thinking. I would much rather read a book and gather all the information in a book than look at a video. I I actually I watch almost no videos. People send me videos all the time. I watch almost zero videos. Uh, even even YouTubers I like, like Scott uh, Scott Head or um, you know Skill Skill Cult. I just don't I just don't watch the videos very often. I find it a very uh, slow way to receive information. I would much rather read and then pull the data out from from what i'm reading bit by bit and then and then apply it and test it but but trying to watch it's it's painful to me actually to watch videos i don't even like to watch movies very often i find watching uh, mystery science theater 3000 occasionally acceptable because the 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 boring movies are broken up by jokes constantly but but i would say that my my method of gardening would be gardening to taste so I have the ingredients for a garden. I have the soil. Maybe I have mulch or I don't have mulch. Maybe I have ashes or I don't have ashes or I have compost or I don't have compost. I may have this tool or that tool. I may have my machete handy or I may have a trowel handy. I look at the system and I evaluate which things are working and which things are not working. And I'm constantly tweaking and testing until I figure out how it really is working well but when i went back when i go back and try to give you the whole recipe i realized that there's so many variables involved with it that i i'm not sure I'm not sure exactly how to tell you to do your garden but i can tell you what didn't work for me i can tell you what did work for me and I can give you a philosophy of gardening that is a philosophy of taste as you go and experiment as you go and work with what you have. And, and I know that you will find success in the, end, in the end. And now, if that batch of soup turns out poorly because you decided some weird experiment, you know, you decided you were going to put barbecue sauce in it or something and it just doesn't work, well, you throw it out and you start again. The garden... You can you can you can till under a bad crop and start again. You know you didn't get a spring garden in well. You can do a fall garden. It's not usually that big a loss. Now when I know exactly how something grows in an exact system, like like in Florida, 
I can tell you exactly what's going to work in Florida because I tested and tried and tested and tried so much that I, I, I basically memorized systems and, and, and had reproducible results over and over again. But when you change climates, you change soil, you change crops, a lot of variables are introduced which are not necessarily easy to just say, I'm gonna plan this out, I'm going to have a peach orchard. And you plan out a peach orchard, peach, 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 peach. Well, then you get something like vine borers uh, coming into the system and, or not vine borers, what is it, peach borers. You get peach borers or plum curculio, you know, and, and you end up losing a lot of peaches or you have a squirrel overdose you know, the squirrels come in and take all this stuff. That's a big, that's a big problem. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about companion planting, David the Good style. I'm not going to tell you exactly what things you should companion plant together or anything else, but um, I, I am going to give you some, some philosophical overviews of, of companion planting and how you're going to figure out how to make it work. And I'm going to tell you why you should do companion planting. But I'm not going to give you, you know, uh, carrots like eggplants, necessarily. Um, let me let me answer a couple of these. The Simple Life sent a $5 super chat. Very grateful for you and family. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, Rick sends a super chat. Thank you, Rick. And Michael sends a $5 super chat. Thank you very much. And Rick, Rick sends another super chat and says, will my olive trees ever bear fruit in South Florida? That is a very good question. I believe they will, because I believe in you, Rick. And I think those olives believe in you too. And I think if you believe in those olives and those olives believe in you, there's nothing those olives can't do. It's a great big beautiful world out there, Rick. You and the olives and the sunny, sandy shores of good old South Florida. Those olives are just crying out out there, Rick, Rick, I'm gonna do it for you, Rick. No, uh, seriously, olives are, are subtropical, so semi-tropical. Uh, I know that there are good fruiting olives that are growing in Citra, Florida, just, just north of the Ocala area. Pretty scrubby, bad soil type area, but they're growing good olives up there. And uh, the variety Arbequina is generally the one that's recommended for Florida. I had Arbequinas growing in my yard in uh, the North Florida food forest, but you know, Mediterranean climate, there are areas that grow olives where they don't really get frosts per se. So um, the trick seems to be with olives, not giving them an abundance of water, uh, not over fertilizing, over mulching, that sort of thing. Remember that they, they like something like 15 inches a year. So dry, rocky, you know, throw some, throw some limestone rocks around them. I don't know. Uh, I, I think you'll have success with them, but I do not know how long it'll take. Mine, mine took about, I mean, one of them produced like the first year after it, but it had been in a pot and you know how they do that. Sometimes they just fruit in the pot and then they come back around. Um, but they, uh, they produced again, like five or six years in. And, and I think, I don't know how they're doing right now. I hope they're doing okay. <laughs> um, Tamara, okay, Tamara is the reason that we're doing this. Tamara Rose sends a $5 super chat and says, yeah, my own chat. So instead of doing the Survival Gardener Minute today on this topic of companion planting, I figured let's just do a live stream on it. Um, and Vicky sends a $20 super chat and says, for an antenna or solar charger, that is much appreciated. I'm about to get, 
I got my bill and I have not looked at it yet for my for my phone because what I do is I run my laptop to my phone so it's gonna be very interesting to see what my my bill is <laughs> yeah but I'm I'm sure you guys have already taken care of it so thank you um, I greatly appreciate it Ante antenna and solar charger are both good ideas I have to work on the technology of it but you know with the, the COVID-19 craziness almost every place has been closed they just opened us up uh, to allow us to go to the beach this morning so I found that out yesterday that they they were opening the beaches this morning the beach nearby us was going to be open until 11 in the morning so I took all of the children out there and we went to the beach and I just like we all went in and we got a little bit sunburned and we had a fantastic time uh, we've been a quarter of the year without going to the beach we've been in lockdown a long time so let's start with Tamara's question here and we'll talk a little bit about companion planting. Tamara says, hey Dave, I love the gardener minutes. Every time I see it in the feed, I'm reminded to go water my peach trees. Can you talk a bit about companion planting? It seems to me very zone dependent. People said to plant nasturtiums by my tomatoes, but in zone eight, um, is that Missouri or Mississippi? MS. Multiple sclerosis. In zone eight, multiple sclerosis. I'm so sorry about zone eight. Um, I find the nasturtiums much prefer shady spots and are kind of Mississippi? No, are, are kind of done being glorious by the time the tomatoes are large enough to give them any shade. Yeah, so the nasturtiums, it's too hot for nasturtiums in zone 8. Um, in the interest of science, as inspired by you, I planted strawberries under five of my peach trees and five I did not. Good work! Tamara, you're my kind of gal. The strawberries do seem to love the dappled shade, and it seems to me the peaches with strawberries in the root zones do seem a little greener, but more observation is needed. Yes, this is the way to do it. And now, I have been, I have been reading three books at the same time, because I, I tend to skip back and forth between books, and it's very interesting when you are reading multiple authors and you're going back and forth between authors to sometimes see how concepts inter interweave with each other. So I am reading uh, G.K. Chesterton's The Problem with Man. At the same time, I'm rereading uh, Nicholas Nassim Taleb's The Black Swan. And at the same time, I'm rereading Gaia's Garden by Toby Hemingway. And so as I was in the middle of reading um, Gaia's Garden today, I read, I read uh, The Black Swan for like a half an hour, and then I switched over and started reading um, uh, the late Toby Hemingway again. But anyhow, while I was, I was, reading, I was reading a portion, I, got, uh, I saw Tamara's comment, and I said, this actually interrelates really well with a couple of things I'm reading right now. Um, if, you're not, if you're not familiar with, with uh, Nicholas Nassim Taleb, uh, he is my 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 favorite my favorite modern thinker. Uh, the the book is is became a very popular book. I mean, the Black Swan is is dealing with random situations that you can't predict by previous previous results. So if you think that you know something all all of your life this has been one way, there's one day when that will not be that way anymore, and it'll be completely different. And so you're planning. If everybody thinks that there's going to be global warming, we don't know that there's going to be global warming. The consensus is almost always wrong. Your experiences are almost always wrong. 
if you know if everybody tells you if you do this it's probably going to do this everybody thinks this is going to lead to inflation it may or it may not we don't know we don't know for sure because things are are much more complicated which is another reason why I find it difficult to put things down in plans if I was to make the perfect garden plan it would not apply to everybody it would not apply to those of you that are in Canada as well as it would apply to those of you that are in Queensland or it would apply to those of you who are in Trinidad or necessarily apply to those of you that are in Florida. You could take aspects of it and run it everywhere, but I'm very suspicious of plans that are supposed to work everywhere no matter what. They, they don't. And, and so there's a certain amount of experimentation that has to go into it. So tomorrow I found, okay, somebody recommends planting nasturtiums by tomatoes. But in a climate where it gets too hot for nasturtiums, like nasturtiums don't really like Florida that much. I, I planted them a few times. I got some pretty sad looking nasturtiums. You have to get them in the right spot where they're cool and happy time of year to get good nasturtiums, big beautiful nasturtiums. My, um, my wife's late grandmother was a gardener and I remember her having some nasturtiums out in the side yard once. And they're very beautiful, but trying to time that along with your tomatoes and stuff is it's not that easy. So if you want a system that is resistant to, to changes that may occur and that is as resilient as possible and that is going to get you through as many situations as possible, it does not make sense to necessarily have a highly planned system. If you've ever planned a renovation on a house or planned out the landscaping on a yard or a new deck or something, it's very hard to get everything right on the first iteration. You may find that you put a, a window sill just slightly too high to be comfortable or just slightly too low to put a sofa next to you might find that the way the light hangs in the bathroom is shining directly into your eyes when you're shaving in the mirror. Or you may find that, um, you know, there's, there's a weird flow to a particular room and people tend to bunch up in the hallways. So, <clears throat> I don't know what the, what the static is. Are you still getting static? I hope not. Um... So, so the deal is, if you design if you design a system with a lot of checks and balances in it and a lot of diversity in it right from the beginning, you're much more likely to go through multiple situations. So here's, here's an example from uh, Nassim Taleb's The Black Swan. If you are dependent on one corporation, you know, you take the stable route. You get a degree and you go to work for, say, SunTrust Bank, and you work your way up through the bank, and you get into an auditor position or something like that, and you're, you know, you do well in the bank, whatever. Your entire existence is tied up in one entity that you are reliant upon. If SunTrust Bank, if there's a black swan event and SunTrust Bank goes under, you go under. However, if you were a freelancer and SunTrust Bank was one of your graphic design clients and maybe the, uh, you know, the video game store down in the mall is one of your clients 
and maybe on the side you also trans do some transcription work for a local church where they like hire you to type up all the sermons. You know, you sit there and you listen to it and you type it up. You slow it down and you type it up and maybe you get a, a few bucks doing that. And then at the same time, maybe you have a couple of, of small community gardens that you work on. Um, you, you have your fingers in a lot of different a lot of different pies rather than being stuck in this in this one thing and now some some people may say well you know that's not really a great career move but if things go under and things get bad you get a big crash you get another mortgage crisis or something like that you just go and pick up whichever thread seems to be the best paying thread at any given moment and you keep working with that whereas the person that has been employed for 20 years by uh, at SunTrust is now looking for a position that's just like that because they don't have backup skills and backup abilities. So if you design your gardens, um, yeah, Scott says, I was a freelance designer for 15 years and it saved my bacon. Big corporation I worked for for 10 years is tanking now. I used to work in radio and I did a lot of radio writing and radio script work and all that stuff. And I've, I've told you guys that. And I've done voice acting work and I have voiced audiobooks for people and I have ghost written and I've written novels um, under pen names and I have done all kinds of all kinds of interesting bits and pieces most of which did not pay very well but there was uh, different things like like when one client went under if I have six clients it doesn't matter that much because one thing goes out you know one thing one thing's gone uh, so what? I lost, what, 10% of my income or 15% of my income. It doesn't make sense to put all of your eggs in one basket. So when you get to your gardens, nature does the same thing. If you look at the woods behind me, there is an abundance of different species. In front of me, there's a gumbo limbo, which you can't see. Um, there's a random, kind of a random mix of species here. There is a gru-gru palm right over here. And the gru-gru is a relative of... Uh, Cocos nucifera, and there's some various softwoods and some hardwoods. There's some nitrogen fixers. There's some vines. There's actually some sort of variety of tropical smilax that's growing over that way. Um, there's there's a whole bunch of different stuff that's grown here. This is not the original forest. This is a regrowth forest. This area was obviously cleared and not too far past. Uh, this chunk was probably knocked over, and it's regrown into a polyculture. So. As I was reading Taleb and talking about, and he's talking about exposing yourself to great opportunities. If you just are an auditor for SunTrust, you have no great opportunities. If you decide to pursue art and a movie decides to pick up one of your pieces and then suddenly the whole jet set wants to buy your pieces, well, there's a Black Swan event that you've taken advantage of. You're, you have a greater chance for success or for failure as an artist, whereas you pretty much are kind of going to make a certain cap working for a bank or working as a baker or working as whatever. There's a cap on what you can earn. But if you're, if you're a writer, you could die poor and broke only having sold 400 copies of your books. I've read that the average author on Amazon sells like 500 books. I mean, that's that's really sad. But if you're J.K. Rowling, you're a bazillionaire. And you don't even have to be very good. You just Something has to catch. There has to be something that, that catches people and throws them, throws them through. So 
reading that from Taleb and then going over and reading uh, Toby Hemingway again, Hemingway was was quite a thoughtful uh, and it's really a thoughtful backyard scientist type of a guy reading him. It's very good. If you don't have the book Guy's Garden, I highly recommend it. Despite that hippie fruitcake sounding name, you know, Gaia's Garden is a really thoughtful scientific book in a lot of ways. It's a guide to homescale permaculture. So what he's talking about is the more interrelated communities you have in a garden, the more chances that the, the predators are going to control problems and you're going to have less disease issues. You're going to have less problems. And he says, sometimes you don't look at a plant and say, what do, what do, you know, this plant is yellow. What do I need to do to make it grow? You look at the plant and you say, this is yellow. Is it even in the right place? Should I even try to grow this? Would it do better if it had other plants around it? Is it getting too much sun? I don't know. Let's just, why do I need to save this plant? You don't necessarily go, okay, I immediately got to step in and be God and I'm going to give it nitrogen. You may just, you may look at the plant and just rethink the plant's entire existence. So, no, it's uh, Toby Hemenway. Toby Hemenway. Good author. I recommend him regularly. Um, so, if you're looking at a companion planting system, I, I think that, that polycultures are one of the best ways to go. The, the more the species density was in my old food forest system and in my gardens, the more I left the insects alone the less the insects were a problem, which was, you know, kind of strange. It's like having more, having more bugs was better for my garden than having less bugs. So the soil diversity is, is better. You know, you've got a lot of different things happening in the soil. You're less likely to have catastrophic diseases. But if you do have a catastrophic disease that affects one thing, say tomatoes, because my tomatoes are always getting nailed by a bacterial blight, that same thing doesn't affect, say, bananas or cassava. So, so if you if you look at the way my gardens are evolving, I started with a very simple, you know, plant beans in rows in bare soil. But what I'm doing as I go is continuing to add species, continuing to add species, continuing to add species until it becomes the gardens become polycultures. We're starting with the fast annual stuff, moving on to perennials, and then intermixing the perennials and the annuals, but still trying to keep it into a, a manageable system that is a highly productive system. Because if I were to let something grow, like, say, this tree behind me here, if that tree back there grew over my gardens, well, that's gonna, it's going to over, you know, overshadow and make it so I can't grow you know, as much pak choy as I as say I wanted to grow. So... When you companion plant, what, one time what I did, actually to plant a new garden bed, I took, a, I took a variety of all the older seed packets that I had and stuff, and I just started throwing them over garden areas. And it was surprising how well stuff grew in there. And I would just go through and chop and thin and pick out salad greens and stuff and eat them. Rachel didn't like it because it was the most confusing and ridiculous looking, looking garden. It was just this great big mess of all kinds of green stuff together. But individual pest problems and stuff were not nearly as bad as when I grew just all cabbages in rows or I grew all tomatoes and I bared the soil around them and they were all, you know, all together like that. You have to manage more of the system, the, the less complicated it is, which is kind of counterintuitive. When you have a very complicated system, there's more redundant points. 
So say, let's go back to global warming. Let's assume global warming is right. We know that the climate changes. Climate changes all the time. We don't know if it's anthropogenic. Some people will say that it's like a heresy if I don't believe in anthropogenic climate, you know, climate change. I do believe that mankind has had huge effects on the environment. Very obvious. Could, did man affect the climate? Possibly. I don't know. But I also don't believe in following necessarily everything that's happened in the past and looking at a, a chart and saying, I know for sure that things are going to get warmer because it takes one big volcanic event to cough up enough dust that we could have another year without a winter, right? So extrapolating on a hockey stick or whatever and saying, this is definitely what's going to happen. It's going to get warmer. So if it's going to get warmer, what I should start doing in a northerly climate is planting starfruit trees and stuff like that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to make myself fragile to a black swan event, as Nicholas Nassim Taleb talks about. So what I want to do instead, maybe I believe fervently in, in global warming, but I'm also a thinker. So what I'm going to do is what if this global warming chart changes? I think that it's probably very likely that the earth is going to get warmer and warmer and the sea levels will rise. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to plant, I'm in, let's say I'm in zone eight. I'm going to plant some plants from zone nine, trusting that the winters are going to become less harsh. I might plant some things from zone 10 in some microclimates. But at the same time, what if there's an outlier? What if you get a volcanic eruption or something like that? If I have planted my yard with Tropic Beauty peaches or with Japanese persimmons, and then suddenly I find that I am in, I have been thrown into zone four slash five by, by a situation beyond my control, I am now, I'm going to lose everything. So it doesn't take very much more effort for me to say, okay, I'm going to put in some American persimmons along with my Japanese persimmons. I'm going to put in a cold tolerant mulberry along with my tropical, more tropical varieties of mulberry. I am going to put in nitrogen fixers. I'm going to put in non-nitrogen fixers. I'm going to put in as many different species. I am going to plant things all the way from zone five to zone 10 and cover all, all of my bases. See, when you throw everything into one crop, when you have a single monoculture, you're counting on that working. If you are a farmer and you're simply growing corn and you get a bad year, you get a flood, that's a big, big problem. But if you also have orchards, if you also have blackberries, if you raise some pigs on the side, whatever, you've got, you know, you've got all these different bits and pieces, you have a safety net. So if I say, you know what? The best staple for zone 10 is cassava. We don't know if a cassava pest is going to come. You might end up with a cassava pest that's imported from Asia or something, you know, cassava, corona, corona for cassava, you know, something, some cassava plant eats a bat and the whole thing's done, right? So you might get, you might, you might not be able to trust it. If you plant your whole yard with cassava and you say, I'm going to live on cassava, that is not the safest thing to do. So what you do is you plant part of your yard with some plantains, you plant part of the yard with some yams, you plant some with sweet potatoes, you plant some with white potatoes, you plant cassava. Now, if your favorite food, the cassava, doesn't come in, you have a safety, a safety behind it. 
you can eat some yams. Your yams don't work, you can eat some pumpkins. You don't have enough pumpkins, you can eat sweet potatoes. You get a late frost, this thing works. You get an early frost, this thing works. You get a, a short summer, this thing works. So what you're doing is creating, creating systems. I don't care if they die to feed me. No, they were probably, pigs would probably be extinct if people didn't raise them for bacon. I mean, I mean really. Um, I like that they die to feed me. <laughs> no, listen, what you want is redundant systems. You want a lot of different things going on. So if your whole garden plan is one thing and then something breaks, you get a disease or whatever, you lose the whole thing. If your whole climate plan is the world is going to freeze or the world is going to burn, you miss the opportunities of the outlier events that may came in and may, may come in and make a difference. There's, there's so many outlier events that you can't plan for that if you try to plan based on last year's garden or if you try to companion plant according to companion planting that is in um, a, a specific book from a specific region, it's not going to work. So what I want you to have is a philosophy of, garden, of gardening where you have redundant systems. Somebody says, I want to plant a pear. I say plant three pears. Not only that, plant three pears, an apple, a persimmon, and a couple of cherries because then no matter what happens, you're going to get food. And, uh, you know, I, I differ with Steve Solomon on this a little bit. Steve's like, you know, nobody needs 200 pounds of pears. So if you decide to put in fruit trees and you put in a few pears, you'll find rapidly that there's too much mess for you to deal with. No. Come on, Steve. Steve is an annual gardener who loves his vegetables. Me, I feel like 200 pounds of pears, man, I'm building a still. I'm going to share them with my neighbors. Or I will raise pigs or chickens or something like that, and then I'll, I'll feed them to that. I would rather have way too much food to deal with in a thousand years than, than not have enough food and have to constantly fight and fight and fight. So Tamara, what I would tell you on companion planting is not necessarily to follow any specific system. What I would do is plant beans under some things, and I would plant other things under other things and other things under other things. And the very best thing I think you can do is to take a wide variety of different seeds and different plants and plant them all together. Because that way, stuff is going to work. No matter what happens, stuff is going to work. You're going to have some things that do really well and you're going to have some other plants that die out of the system. So what you're doing is realizing that nature selects the way things are going to work. Some things are going to die, some things are going to grow. Hey, you're, you know, your nasturtiums die early. Nature selected them out of your system. But when you only have two things in the system and you lose one of them, it kind of hurts. But if you put 15 things in the system and five of them die, you still have 10 things interrelating, 10 things making food. So as you guys watch my gardens evolve over this year, when the rainy season starts, things get really, really fun. As you watch it evolve, you'll see how I interweave all kinds of polycultures in order to make a really resilient system that's going to make me food no matter what. It's not about maximum production from any one thing and extractive farming where you're pumping in a bunch of nitrogen in order to get out the little bit that you can get out. What, what it is over time is, is building an ecological relationship through a bunch of different things. So no matter what happens, we're going to get a little bit of this and a little bit of this and a little bit of this and a lot 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 of this. And, of this. and you can do this in, in, in almost any climate. It's the way you think about making the soup. It's the way you plan the soup by looking around and seeing, what do I have available? Let's put them together, and then we're gonna taste as we go along and see what works and what's good. So it's not a specific recipe for you tomorrow or for anybody interested in companion planting, 
what it is is it's it's an idea it's a way of thinking about your gardens and knowing that the more connections you make between plants in the gardens the less the pests seem to be a problem the rest the less uh, a little bit less rain seems to be a problem because there's always going to be something that comes through it and does well no matter what and you always get food so I need to run because I am down to 3% on this battery. And so I want to thank you guys for tuning in. I know we've got 100 and, like 160 people right now. And I'm sorry that i got to run away. But I hope I gave you enough to think about. And I want to thank, um, thank the members. Welcome new member Bridgewater Ambition. Thank you very much for the support. I really appreciate having the, the channel members signing up. It's really cool to have. And if you're a channel member, you do get... Um, some of my videos and books and things for free, I try to post them moderately often. Like I just posted the pre-release version of my new book, Florida Survival Gardening, um, for, for my members. And we had a members-only discussion about it the other night. So thank you for that. Thank you to Karen and Carolyn and Rick and The Simple Life and Michael and Tamara and Vicky and Rick. Um, um, Tamara, thank you very much for the question. I'm going to skip the survival gardener minute for now because I got to go do some gardening before it gets dark and I have something really cool look at this this right here this is a pod filled with jicama the yam bean so I'm gonna plant some of those I'm really kind of excited about that I know you guys get it I'm so excited I can grow some jicama and it looks just like kudzu so um have a great, yeah, you get a shout out. And remember, Bridgewater Ambition, you also get the machete emoji. <laughs> Have a great night, guys. Um, thank you all for the for the little extra cash for bandwidth and everything. I really appreciate it. You, you all are the best. And um, I will catch up with you. I'll try to do this again tomorrow afternoon. I'm, I'm shooting for this 3 o'clock slot. I kind of like this thing. So... Have a good night. God bless. And until next time, may your thumbs always be green.